Well, good morning and welcome to New Life. It's great, uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, today is Resurrection Sunday, as I'm sure that most of you guys are aware. Uh, one of the best times of the year to come together and to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, it provides the basis for our faith, and it's the reason that we come together to glorify God and the gospel of grace, which we talk about each week, but especially this morning, um, what a crucial thing it is that we can come together and do this. My name is Young, pastor here at New Life, and it is my pleasure to uh, be able to welcome you uh, this Easter Sunday service where we celebrate Jesus' resurrection together. Because he lives, we can echo the letter to the Corinthians, uh, which says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just, just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now it's because of his resurrection that we're able to build faith together here. Whether you're new to Christianity or you've uh, been invited along just for the day, or you've been here for a little while, uh, there's something in what we see happening with Jesus and the disciples for all of us uh, in our passage, which is uh, still to be read. Now, we need uh, for that to be divinely revealed to us so that we can build faith together, that we can recognize who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Uh, before our scripture reading, though, um, how about we go into a time of fellowship together as we do each week where we can just catch up with those around us. Uh, we can get to know the person sitting near us or get to know someone new, uh, maybe someone that's sitting by themselves that have come uh, by themselves. Uh, a bit of a fellowship question to get, get you guys started. If someone from out of town was coming to visit you, What's one food that you would share with them and why? You know, maybe a favorite place that you would take them, maybe something that you feel really confident in cooking for them. Uh, go ahead and share with the person sitting near you. All right. We might uh, bring it back. Let's, let's bring it back and bring it back. If you can uh, grab your seats again, and uh, we'll get moving in the service. <laughs> food is just uh, food is just a thing that we just want to talk about forever. I think you know. I see praise teams already breaking bread back there as well. I think this is a really appropriate question as well because I know there are some people from out of town uh, that are joining us for the service today as well. I think uh, Owen's fiance is here. JJ is here all the way from London, which is amazing. We've got two JJs here, actually. My dad's here. He goes by JJ as well. So it's an interesting uh, little you know, coincidence. And my sister-in-law is here as well. Um, I don't know if many of you guys talked about Eljana. Uh, we took our family uh, over to Eljana the other day as well. It's such a great one as well because you can remember it the next day as well when you still smell like Eljana. So just a really great place <laughs> to go as well. How about we go into the scripture reading for this morning? And it comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And I'll be reading from the CSB. And that'll be on screen for you as well. This is the word of God. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, 
Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with, one, with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while we, he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, we along with our brothers and sisters that are sitting alongside us, are we along with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we want for our eyes to be opened. We want to see your son for who he is, for who he truly is, and not just what our eyes tell us he is. We want to know him as God's son. We want to know him as master. We want to know him as teacher. We want to know him as our suffering savior. Would you help us, Lord, to place aside any sort of prejudices, any sort of preconceived notions of who he is, that we might have a clear picture painted by you through the Holy Spirit as he wisely reveals to us who Jesus is. Just as we see the empty tomb, just as we sing about his glory, we want for our hearts to be opened and we want to know him. Would you be with us throughout the service? Would you help us, Lord, to build faith together? Would you speak to us through this word? transform our lives, and gives us, give us new life in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the big questions uh, when it comes to Christianity is, how can I grow in faith? You know, how can I grow in faith is one of the big questions that always comes up because we want to grow. You know, we don't want to stay stagnant when it comes to our faith. 
We don't want to just stay in one place, but we want to grow in faith. And our passage today presents us with an answer. It tells us about these two disciples of Jesus a few days after his death on the cross. And you can imagine the mood among these two. And it tells us on paper right here, but you can just imagine. They're arguing about everything that has just happened to Jesus in the last few days. They try to make sense of their faith. You know, they believe in the Lord. They believe that Jesus came as Redeemer. You know, they're trying to make sense of this whole situation. He was their hope for the redemption of Israel, they say. In their minds, what this means is this was their ticket back into political power. This was their ticket out of oppression from Rome. But their hopes were dashed when they watched as he died and he was buried. They saw where he was buried and they knew that he was dead. Now, although Jesus prophesied to them about his return in three days during his time with the disciples, this didn't make sense to them. You know, he spoke about this several times, but this didn't make very much sense to them. Suffering and dying didn't align with their idea of a triumphant savior. It just didn't make sense. Why would a savior come to suffer and die? Why wouldn't he come to set them free from oppression? Confusing them even more was the fact that they had heard from the women who had visited the tomb earlier that morning. They had a vision of an angel who told them, Jesus is alive. We ask, how can I grow in faith? As though it's something that's very easy and straightforward. And in one sense it is. In one sense it very much is very easy. But only with faith. In another sense, it's impossible if you don't have faith, it's impossible to grow. We see it even in the disciples who walked with Jesus for their lifetimes, or for his lifetime, struggling with everything that had happened. They're unable to process all of the events that had just occurred because of a lack of faith. So even when Jesus was walking alongside them, their eyes are kept from recognizing the one that's standing right in front of them. There's a failure on their part to recognize God's purpose, just as there have been all throughout their time with Jesus prior to his crucifixion, they only have their own plans and thoughts about how things should turn out, how things should have worked out. And so they can't even imagine that Jesus is standing in front of them. When Jesus asked them about what they're arguing about, the two are astonished. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know what just happened? Like, everyone knows what just took place. Are you the only one that has just come from out of town and you have no idea? If you're a visitor to church today, perhaps you're unfamiliar with what happened and all of this is like trying to look through a wall. You know, you're looking at this scripture. We won't go into as deep a dive into the Bible as Jesus does for his disciples because, you know, we'll be here for several days. He goes through pretty much all of, the, all of biblical history and we won't do that to you. But as you listen to what we're talking about, and look at our way of life. I hope that you do feel your heart moving. That your faith grows along with your, with your curiosity. And as we meet together and talk together about the Bible each week. That this opaque wall becomes more and more transparent. And you're able to see until you're able to enter in. In our passage, ironically, 
these two disciples have no idea what's going on. Even as they ask Jesus, do you have no idea what just happened? They're the ones that have no idea what just took place since they don't know the true identity of the one that they're walking with. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one who knows what truly happened and he stands right in front of them, unrecognized by these two disciples. Why is it that they can't recognize Jesus? All the pieces are there. If you read through what they say, all the pieces are there. In verses 19 to 24, they tell Jesus about everything that took place. All they need to do is put the pieces together. Let me read for you. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. They say, even with their own mouths, that it's the third day. You know, which calls to mind Jesus' prophecies when he was walking alongside them about his resurrection. He had told them he's going to come back in three days. It's the third day. They say it with their own mouths, but they're still not able to, in faith, understand what's happening. Why? Verse 25 tells us, He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So because they're slow of heart to believe in faith, they fail to gather themselves around Jesus' teaching. Because they're slow in heart, they're not able to gather around Jesus' teaching. So they've heard the teaching, but they haven't committed to it. They haven't set their hearts upon this teaching. When I was young, uh, my parents did to me this is kind of embarrassing because they're here. Uh, my parents did to me what every parent did to kids growing up in the U.S. in the 90s. They enrolled me in taekwondo classes, in taekwondo, right? Like every parent did that for some reason. And for the entire time that I was under the teaching of this master, this habunim, he would get annoyed with me. He'd lose his patience with me. You know, I would just forget the routines, just be like sloppily doing my moves, you know, like... Taekwondo just wasn't a priority for me. Like, our families met together for dinner the other night, and they were just talking about how I just have no hand-eye coordination. And they were just sharing very, oh, I'm just standing there, just like listening to them, and I can't even refute it because it's so true. You know, I'm very uh, poor with my hand-eye coordination. So I was there, and I heard and saw what the master was teaching me. But I didn't go home and practice. I didn't commit to Taekwondo. My heart wasn't set on rising above being a green belt. It just didn't seem like it would be very, a very useful life skill. Probably Jiu-Jitsu would be better, but you know, maybe, um, maybe a Chipsani will come and front kick me if I say that too loud. Um, the disciples fail to see because they fail to embrace God's ways. For the disciples, it didn't fit into their paradigm that their Savior could possibly suffer. Like, it didn't make sense because it didn't matter to them that much. What mattered to them more was that the Savior comes and is triumphant for them on their behalf. As big as they might think of God, the plan that they had in mind for what God would do didn't allow for him 
to go outside of their own idea of what should take place. God wasn't allowed outside of his boundaries. To them, the Messiah will be someone who comes in a blaze of glory and is triumphant from start to finish. There wasn't any room for suffering in their understanding, just as there's no room for suffering in a lot of our understanding, in a lot of the world's understanding when it comes to Christianity. And so they discarded this notion quite easily. Look with me at verses 26 to 27. This is Jesus speaking. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so Jesus explains, interpreting scripture in light of himself for them, showing them that all of the Bible points to the need, all of scripture is fulfilled in a Messiah who suffers. Everything points to a Messiah who suffers, a Savior who is suffering. As Jesus explains all of this to Cleopas and the other disciple, they arrive at Emmaus. Eventually, they make it. They've been talking for a while. It's a long trip. And the two disciples invite him to stay with them. They still don't know who he is. And although they're the ones who invited him, suddenly at the table, something happens. Jesus takes on the role of host, even though he's the one that was invited in. Verses 30 to 32. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And we hear that their eyes were opened and they recognize Jesus in that moment. How were their eyes opened? What is it about this act that opens their eyes? And Jesus' explanation of the Bible was already working in their hearts by the Spirit. All throughout this trip, it's already working in their hearts and they ask, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And then, in the breaking of bread, their eyes are finally opened. Through Jesus opening the Bible to them, through him hosting the meal around the table and breaking bread with them, their eyes are opened. Through the opening of the Bible, through the opening of the bread, their eyes are opened and they know God. There's a direct correlation with what we do in church today. Fellowship of faith with other believers, other followers of Christ around the Lord's table builds faith. When you fellowship with other believers around the table in faith, that's the act that builds faith. When we read scripture together, when we interpret it according to the suffering Messiah, not in any other way, but according to the suffering Messiah. And when we break together bread in the name of the Lord, Jesus continues to be present among us. He's still with us. And in fact, he's the host of our hospitality. It's in this that our faith is built up. So that's what we're going to do today.
we will have an opportunity to build faith together through the faithful rendering of the word and through the breaking of bread together. As the Lord did for us, we're going to break bread together around his table. It's been nearly a year since we've been able to do this together, but God's invitation has not been revoked. He still welcomes us to the table, the faithful ones, where we can share in a meal with him. The communion is a God-ordained ceremony. It comes from the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. It's a meal that pictures the forgiveness that God has for us. It's a meal that reminds us of how our eyes were opened by him. God's forgiveness is made available to all through the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection make reconciliation possible. And as Jesus came and died and was resurrected, he took on the debt of all of our sins and gives us in exchange eternal life and eternal forgiveness in him. So what we partake in together today is a God-ordained ceremony that's a sign and seal of the grace that we receive from God. We reenact together the gospel of grace. And in this, we experience a renewal of grace, which helps us to hear, to commit to, and to set his teaching upon our hearts. It's a clear sign that forgiveness comes from the Lord through his grace. And by you participating in this, what you're doing is testifying of your faith in Jesus. You're confirming your continued love for him and your devotion to God and committing to forgiving and welcoming in all others, just as you've been forgiven and welcomed in by Jesus, that Jesus might be revealed in your manner of speech and in your actions. So what is the communion? The communion is an act of re remembrance. We look back into the past at what Jesus did, and we thank him for it. We've been doing that all year. We do that especially on Good Friday, and we do that especially today. But the communion is also a declaration of our dependence upon him. We're reminded in the present that it's God who forgives. It's God who nourishes us. Nothing else will satisfy. It's God who keeps us. It's God who gives us grace for the day ahead. And the communion is a glimpse into the future as well. Together we look into the future, uh, at that future day that we know is coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb at his glorious return when we'll be invited to the table to feast with him. The grace that's renewed in us is a freely given gift of God to us who are undeserving, and it's effective through the Holy Spirit in the promise of the word of God. Here at New Life, we endeavor to celebrate the communion every month on the first Sunday of each month, except today, Resurrection Sunday, and except the whole of last year. So let's... Make sure that this doesn't just become a routine that we go through, just an exercise of a routine. As we saw last year, circumstances outside of our control can remove the communion table from us, can make it really difficult to do together. But instead, let it be a time of receiving grace in a mystical way, through the opening of your eyes, through a mysterious way, that you might understand the eternal life of forgiveness that you now walk into, which is given to you by the Son of God, the suffering Savior. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As you heard in God's word, the communion is for those that follow Christ only. If you're not a follower of Christ, please do not take communion as you would only drink judgment upon yourself. If, however, through our service today, your eyes were open to Jesus as your savior, we welcome you into the family of God and we invite you to the table as well to partake together with us and ask that you will make yourself known to us at the closing of the service, that we might be able to follow up with you and talk with you about the commitment that you've made. For followers of Jesus, the communion is for those that are not under current church discipline, for those who are not living in unrepentant sin. So the command is to examine yourselves before coming forward to receive the communion. So spend time in this time right now to examine yourselves. If you live in repentance and by faith in the grace of God, then by all means come forward to receive the communion. Several of New Life's ministry directors will be at the front now of each aisle, and we'll also have one who will attend to uh, serving the volunteers that are on stage um, and in the multimedia room, the children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room as well. We're also going to have a gluten-free station for those with allergies, and that'll be the closest station to the parents' room. Uh, these are quite limited in number, so I do ask that if you aren't allergic, um, reserve them for those that are um, actually allergic and have dietary needs first. Now spend time now to examine yourselves, to pray, and to thank God for what he has done. And then when you're ready, and when the ministry directors are ready, please come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion and take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together, that our faith might be built uh, together in the breaking of bread.
right, you can go ahead and open the first layer. Oh, I've opened too many. This is his body, which is for you. So you can take of the body. Now open the second layer. And this cup is a new covenant in his blood. So you can go ahead and take that now. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for the communion. We know, Lord, that is your invitation to the table with you. And we can only take this invitation and join you at your table because of the person and work of your son, Jesus. He's our only hope in life and death, and that hope is enough for us for the day ahead. We thank you, Lord, for what he's done. We look to you this Resurrection Sunday, we look to the empty tomb, and we look to the fullness of our hearts, God. We know that you filled us with an everlasting joy because of this eternal forgiveness, this eternal life that we now live in. We know that we can enter freely into your house, and in your house are many rooms, and your son has gone before us to prepare rooms for us. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have this community together when we can build faith. We pray, Lord, that many eyes will be opened to see who you are, that many lives will be committed to who you are, that lives will be transformed by who you are. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.